The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. June is Pride Month in the U.S. It's a time we celebrate the contributions of the LGBTQ communities. But how can a person who is lesbian, gay, trans, bi, or queer find a workplace that allows them to be themselves? Well, we're talking all about it on today's episode. From LinkedIn News, this is Get Hired, a podcast for the ups and downs and the ever-changing landscape of our professional lives. I'm Andrew Seaman, LinkedIn Senior Managing Editor for Jobs and Career Development, bringing you conversations with experts who, like me, want to see you succeed at work, at home, and everywhere in between. You've likely seen increased attacks in the U.S. against the LGBTQ community over the past year, especially against people who are trans or non-binary. This shouldn't come as a surprise to you, but this podcast is a safe space for the LGBTQ community. And today, we're talking about what they can do to find a workplace that is accepting of them and their families. We're talking with Rashawn Hawkins, who goes by Shawnee. She is the director for the Workplace Equality Program at the HRC Foundation. Shawnee oversees the organization's well-known Corporate Equality Index, which scores employers and their policies, practices, and benefits pertinent to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer employees. We'll learn more about the Corporate Equality Index, but first, let's hear a bit about the Human Rights Campaign. Here's Shawnee. So HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, is the largest LGBTQ plus civil rights organization in the U.S. and one of the largest globally. We've been around just over 40 years. We were established in 1980 when there was a real need during the AIDS and HIV epidemic to have real representation for community interests. My program specifically is one of the first programs that started HRC's foundation. In the late 90s, it was called WorkNet, and it put its very first survey out into corporate America, you know, top 20 questions asking corporate America to be inclusive of LGBTQ plus community needs when it comes to their basic offerings for employees. We're about to have our 21st DEI report will be published at the end of this year. And my program really advocates for LGBTQ plus inclusion in workplaces all over the U.S. And can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like when you are judging a workplace or an employer for your report? What are you looking for? Yeah, you know, there's really four key pillars. And to be very clear, the Corporate Equality Index is a, like an internal best practices benchmarking tool for employers. And so we try to have it be very transparent and very attainable. So there's a minimum employee requirement to be eligible for it, which is 500 full-time employees based in the U.S. And those four pillars that we really focus our criterion on are non-discrimination policies. It's parity with healthcare benefits. It is your internal training and opportunities for folks to share about themselves and information and for your employee base to learn about community and how to show up and create an inclusive environment. And then we also look at corporate social responsibility. So how you as an employer are showing up for community outside of the four walls of your place of work. And obviously over the years too, the number of employers that you've included on 
the index has increased dramatically, correct? Yeah, absolutely. When we first started with the very first corporate equality index, it only had 319 active participants. Our last one that we released at the beginning of 2022 had well over 1,200. So it's definitely grown over the time that it's been out into the field. And every year, we naturally get about 10% growth from people actively wanting to participate and be a part of this esteemed cohort of employers that are really centering LGBTQ plus workers. What realistically do you think the score represents for people? What can they expect at these employers? Yeah, I think that is a really good question because culture in the feel of safety and affirmation and authenticity is really hard to measure on a benchmarking tool. Everyone's unique perspective is different. And so what the CEI is not is that, right? It's not a judge of culture per se, or 100% accuracy. If you go to an employer that's rated on here, you're going to have the best experience. But what it does do is help our community be more intentional about where they go. What we see a lot about our community and its disenfranchisement is not being able to find employment, to not have economic empowerment, and to feel discrimination or feel ostracized in the spaces that they do work at. So if you are, for instance, a community member that's looking to transition, you can use our tool to find out what employers have comprehensive health care that will help you on that journey? What employers are equipped and have an established track record of experience of helping their employees through this, you know, very pivotal part in their life and that you know that you'll be taken care of and be supported through those efforts? That is hugely important for our community. Same as family formation. You know, when you think of family formation benefits or a lot of healthcare benefits that show up in the workplace, a lot of them are based off a cisgender heteronormative space. And so when we're talking about family formation, for instance, if we didn't put our benchmarking tool out there and educate and inform employers that, you know, cis women who are in relationships with each other are not going to have a history of infertility in order to qualify for, you know, IVF, IVR fertility treatments is something that you have to go tell corporate America, right? So what we try to do with this tool is not only rate, but also put a roadmap out. If you're trying to create inclusive policies and practices that are going to be applicable to our community, these are the things that you need to be considering. And so we lay that out for them. Yeah. And I assume that over the years, you've seen, obviously, inclusion on different measures improve dramatically, and then there are places where it's still lacking. Where are we seeing almost universal uptick or uptake on benefits versus maybe where gaps remain, where there's the most room to growth? Yeah. You know, the first time that we started actually tracking gender affirming care and trans inclusive health care was in 2008, 2009. And very few, very low percentage of our participating companies had health care plans that were inclusive in that way. But what we see now, over 22 times those employers are offering these benefits. So we're talking about companies, you know, less than 10% that offered this care when we first started benchmarking it to now being well over 87% of them have comprehensive trans-inclusive care. So we've seen very big gains in that particular area when we put the benchmark out and, you know, mandated that they have gender affirming care as a part of their basic health care plan. Where I see there's still opportunity to grow is around LGBTQ plus data collection and what to do with that. There's a lot of employers, right, who aren't making these DEI efforts or initiatives because they don't see that this is applicable to them. And so what we try to put out there and let them know is, 
one, you're not going to know if someone identifies as LGBTQ plus as a worker. I think it's an unfair or unrealistic expectation to assume that all community members in a place of work are going to tell everyone and be out. We want them to feel safe and affirmed, but there's still privacy there. Not everybody wants those aspects of their life known. And that's just one aspect of a person's identity. So I think it's really important that employers have comprehensive data collection to be able to understand and identify not just their LGBTQ plus employees, but the whole diaspora of their employee population and what their needs may be that an employer has an obligation to provide. We'll be right back. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. We're back with the HRC Foundation's Shawnee Hawkins. In the work that you're doing, have you seen any companies pull back at all on their offerings in sort of the wake of the backlash that is growing in right-wing media circles and all of that. So what I can say as far as job seekers and what we're seeing as far as benefits and, and all the things that are within workplaces, we are thankfully not seeing employers pull back. As a matter of fact, we've just evolved our criteria at the same time that we're seeing this height of vitriol. And, you know, I'll say it, extreme bigotry against our community and all this disinformation and misinformation, especially about our trans and non-binary siblings within the community. But I have not seen employers really pull back on those basic needs and offerings for their employees. What we have seen, and you know, you can't help but miss in the headlines, is really a test of corporate support and solidarity. When you have these extreme views attacking you through social media and creating these headlines, you know, you pander to them and you change your product offerings or you backtrack supporting a trans advocate, that really doesn't bode well for business. It doesn't bode well for community support either. So we've seen you know, corporate America really kind of hold their breath right now and trying to learn from what happened with the Bud Lights and the targets of the world and figure out what their next steps will be. That's good to know that for job seekers, you're not seeing any pullback in offerings, at least. Yeah, not in offerings, just how they're showing up in their public advocacy. 
obviously this podcast is geared toward job seekers, but there might be employers or people who are in management positions listening. And I think it's always important to mention when it comes to the LGBTQ population, we're very intersectional. A person is very rarely just gay or lesbian or queer. There's so many different pieces to their identity and it takes nuance to actually have a comprehensive DEI strategy for their company, right? Absolutely. Because like you said, the community is very intersectional. You're going to have intentional recruiting and outreach for veterans. You're going to have it for women identified. You're going to have it for, you know, people of color. Well, LGBTQ plus identities live in all of the other identities and categories as well. So just kind of helping recruiters and employers understand that, you know, it's not a niche group that you have to market to. You market to all being inclusive and you'll find and be able to attract and retain that talent. What are your top tips to actually find that inclusive workplace and be able to judge, okay, I have HRC's corporate equality index, but like, how do I find out what it's really like on the inside? Yeah, you know, so obviously you can use our tool for what's on paper, but I highly encourage individuals who are looking for a safe workplace, start there, but then do your research. Look at that employer social media. See what people are they giving visibility to and uplifting through their social channels, through their marketing channels. What type of narratives are they centering through their work, through employees, and through their customer base? I definitely think that you should look at their board and look at board diversity and see what representation is up there. You can have the most robust DEI inclusive marketing campaign, but when you look at the board and the board is a monolith of the same identity, which typically in corporate spaces are cis white men, you know, it's a little lackluster on whether or not we're actually going to live into those DEI qualities. There's a lot of employee resource groups, employee affinity groups that are out there that have their own social handles as well. So you're able to kind of look there and see if you can find someone who is a part of one of those associations within potential place of work and kind of get that narrative from them to see if you can find someone that can give you that real talk on what the culture is. But also be very mindful, right? There's Workplace experiences are very subjective to a climate, to a location, to a person's identity and how they get to move through their workplace. You're only really going to be able to find that out through people who have lived those experiences, but making sure who you're talking to is going to be representative to your experience. Yeah. And for people who maybe are at employers and they go to HRC's Corporate Equality Index and they see maybe their employer doesn't have a perfect score or there's room for improvement, what can they do to advocate for their needs internally? What have you seen, been most effective for LGBTQ people? Yeah, when I've seen the most progress internally, when you can build coalition and build a network in, internally, there's always strength in number and strength in communities. So if your organization doesn't have an affinity group or an employee resource group, create one and get yourself an executive sponsor, someone who sits at tables that you as an individual may not be sitting at so that they're aware of what comes up in those meetings and conversations and they're able to use their positions of privilege to advocate for you and the tables that they sit at. And then also, you know, even outside of the formal employee resource groups, they're often usually informal ones too. There's definitely, you know, the Slack channels that, you know, that Un unofficial Teams chat that you have amongst your colleagues or that water cooler conversation. I think the most important thing about those is having a method to be able to do something about those conversations. What can very much happen in those spaces is that we're all coming to a common conversation about our lived experiences within this organization. And 
Sometimes the birth and creation of employee resource groups is because they've been underrepresented identities and they felt unseen with internal policies and operational needs. And so if you're having this on an unofficial conversation, you need a way to be able to make that official. You need a way to be able to take that to your HR, your DEI teams, or any other advocate within your organization so that they can have an understanding of what you're all talking about. So I always want to make sure that folks who have those groups and those conversations have a way to be able to organize that and operationalize that to be able to share what they uncover, whether that be on a letter that you send to your DEI team or to your senior leadership team. There's a lot of ways that you can communicate the collective need to senior leadership. For people who want to find HRC's Corporate Equality Index, where can they go? Yeah, you can go to hrc.org and search CEI and find that, find our most recent report. It'll have all the criteria and a lot of the data that we've talked about through this conversation. But the most important thing, I think, is the appendix. You'll be able to see every active participant. Even what we have is Fortune 1000 and American Law 200. Regardless if they actively participate or not, you can see what their scoring is on our scorecard, and we list all of those names. So that's a very good starting base. And then also, like you said, there is an employee cutoff at 500. But if you are looking at maybe a smaller employer, maybe a regional employer, you could use that scorecard and know what questions to ask during interviews. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much, Shawnee. Yeah, thank you. That was the HRC Foundation's Shawnee Hawkins. You can find a link to the organization's Corporate Equality Index in our show notes. Remember, it's up to you to put our advice into practice. Still, you always have a community backing you up and cheering you on. Connect with me and the Get Hired community on LinkedIn to continue this conversation. Also, if you liked this episode, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps people like you find the show. And don't forget to click that follow, subscribe, or whatever other button you find to get our podcast delivered to you every Wednesday, because we'll continue these conversations next week, right here, wherever you like to listen. Get Hired is a production of LinkedIn News. This episode was produced by Alexis Ramdow. Rafa Faria is our associate producer. Asa Giron engineered our show. Joda Georgi mixed our show. Dave Pond is head of news production. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Courtney Coop is head of original programming at LinkedIn. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Andrew Seaman. Until next time, stay well and best of luck.